Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 118. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome to Thread. This is a podcast for believers who want to increase the level of impact that their lives have on others. Whether you're seeking to have influence in your family, at work, in school, as a leader of a ministry, or as a leader of a nonprofit, it's a verse by verse Bible study. And my goal is to set before you a solid meal from God's word so you'll have strength to journey deeper into your calling as an agent of change in your generation. I want to give a big shout out today to those who are listening in the USA, especially West Virginia and Utah for last month for some reason. Uh, Hello there. The Philippines, Canada, Bahrain, Thailand, the UK, Brazil, Ethiopia, Jamaica, Republic of Korea, Indonesia, Russian Federation, Nepal, Mexico, Italy, Australia, Argentina, and China. That's our top 20 listening countries. So thank you for listening, and please keep spreading the word about the Thread Podcast on your social network and let your friends know about it. I really appreciate it. Okay, today's thread is about making the most of a season of stability. We talk a lot about disruptive change and the chaos of modern life, and a lot of times life is just crazy busy, but every now and then you get a season of time where you're settled and things get quiet and routine, and you might be tempted to fill up all that time out of boredom. So let's look at Acts 19, 1 through 10, and see how Paul handled this kind of situation in a very effective way. All right, let's set up this passage. This was a very fertile time for the harvest of souls, and in many cities across Turkey, people were coming to know Jesus in great numbers. Now, in the last thread, episode 117, we talked about how many messengers God has and how we need to honor the work of other people and learn how to network with them and not compete with them. Well, in chapter 18, we met a man named Apollos, and we learned that he was a powerful orator. Paul really acknowledges what a great public speaker Apollos was. Now, Apollos had an experience with God that was based on the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist led a national repentance movement to prepare the hearts of the people so that when Jesus came, there would already be a people prepared for the Lord. And uh, John began preaching the kingdom of God and the Messiah being Jesus. And so Apollos has had his experience through John the Baptist. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to have a connection with mainstream, with the mainstream Christian movement. He's, he's on his own track, and his route was John the Baptist, not Jesus. And so he's got gaps in his understanding about the Lord. And he's preaching what he knows, which is what everybody does, and people are responding greatly to what he knows. He just doesn't have a complete picture of the gospel. And we saw back in chapter 18 that he was humble enough to let somebody else pull him aside and say, hey, can I tell you some more about this truth concerning Jesus and Messiah? And they began to spread the word deeper in his heart. And really, this is how everyone finds Christ. You know, some people think you have to teach accurate Christian doctrine in its completeness, and after you educate the lost, 
they will have this aha moment and receive Jesus. But that is, in my experience as a missionary for over 30 years, not what happens. It's an experience. You meet him like you meet other people. One day, someone introduces you to Jesus, uh, always at a point when you're, you're having a need. And in your point of need, Jesus touches you, and you're born again. And then you learn your doctrine. Usually, it comes to you in disjointed pieces, week by week. And through a variety of sources, you read a book, you hear a sermon, a friend tells you something, you go to Bible study, you read something on your own. And it, you know, it, it's not like going to seminary and having it from you know, A to Z in an orderly fashion. Almost no one gets it like that. Um, today, I was on the internet listening to a worship song on YouTube, and I read this comment, which was part of a response to an atheist hater's comment on, you know, underneath that same worship song. And the guy's name was Jeff Combs, and he said, uh, his comment was, I also used to be an atheist, and the one thing I was always looking for was a Christian willing to get angry and defensive so I could mock their faith. And it was one man in particular who would never get angry with me, but just smile and say, you're going to be all right, Jeff. Thank God for that man's love that melted away my hatred and my anger. You know, salvation is not a doctrinal experience. It's a personal experience. You meet Jesus. You are transformed. And we're not here to just try to educate people in proper Christian doctrine we want them to meet the Lord, and if they meet him, he will change them. I remember a lady in our church um, who was French, and she was agnostic at best, atheist, probably more like it, but she was totally in despair, and she was at the beach, and some ladies were there having a retreat, and somebody struck up a conversation with her, and they just pulled her in, and before she knew it, they were laying hands on her, you know, they were saying, can we pray for you? And she said, uh, okay. And then they laid hands on her, and she just burst into tears. She sobbed for an hour, and Jesus just saved her and changed her and washed her. And I remember that she came to church, and we started, uh, her name was Katie Mueller, and we started uh, nurturing her. And I remember teaching Christian doctrines, and I got to the resurrection of the dead, and I remember looking back in the room. There were, we were a small group, like maybe 35 people. And I looked back, and she was just wagging her head left to right. And I said, Katie, what is it? And she said, you're serious. Our dead bodies are coming back to life. And I said, yes, that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. Our bodies will be transformed, but it is the same body that comes back to life. And she shook her head again, and she said, I will try to believe this. Um, and, you know, she came to believe it, and she actually got cancer a couple years later. It was sad in a way, but she was ready to meet her Lord, and I asked her during that season, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And she says, oh, yes, I'm going to see him, uh, and I'm going to live again. So that's what happens. That's how people get their doctrine. And so Apollos has gone around teaching, and he's left some gaps, but he has raised up Disciples who've had a genuine experience, but they just don't know their doctrine completely. So that brings us to Acts chapter 19. And Paul follows, he goes to Ephesus, and he's following behind Apollos, who has been there and spent some time there. 
And Paul meets 12 unusual men. These are men, and they are alive spiritually, and they want to talk about it. And Paul perceives, as he interacts with these guys, he perceives that they are brothers. They're walking the same spiritual path that he's walking, but something's missing in their understanding, and he's trying to put his finger on it. So in verse 2, he asks them an important question. He says, when you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And Because the day of Pentecost is what changed everything for early Christianity. The power of the Holy Spirit, not just a doctrine about Jesus, not just a story about Jesus, but a story about them now. Because this same spirit and power, when Jesus said, I, you know, I'm going away and I will come back and the Holy Spirit will come into you and he will guide you, tell you what to say, bring everything to your remembrance. He gave them authority to heal. He gave them authority to cast out demons, to preach with anointing and to explain the gospel with anointing. And, you know, that's the Holy Spirit's baptism and changed everything. And so Paul asked them, did you have that experience? And they say, no, we've not even heard that there is such an experience. It's kind of like evangelicalism divorced from Pentecostalism. Evangelicalism is a, is a clear and accurate doctrine of the salvation teachings about Jesus. There's nothing wrong with it. And uh, Pentecostals, by and large, are evangelical in their doctrine. But, you know, there has been, over the last hundred years or so, group a, a group or a they're kind of like they're resisting change, basically, uh, out of fear. Uh, groups within evangelicalism that as Pentecostalism rose up and we had, again, experiences of Holy Spirit power and anointing and healings and miracles and tongues and interpretation and signs and wonders and all kinds of things happening all over the globe, not just one country, not just Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, this is happening all over the planet. And there are groups within Christianity that, you know, like harden themselves against it. They're afraid of it. They're afraid it's uh, deceiving signs and wonders, and they push hard back against it. But look, Pentecostalism is not a fringe movement. It's not a fringe cult within Christianity. It's the root of Christianity. It's where it starts. The church is born on the day of Pentecost, and that's what this book is teaching us, that Christianity without the embrace of the supernatural work of God is simply deficient. And Paul, as he interacts with these brothers, he says, you know, you know, you know a part of the doctrine, and you had, have had some kind of spiritual experience, but you don't have the supernatural work of God in your life. And you may be fiery and Bible-loving, but if you're ignorant, or even worse, if you persecute the supernatural work of God's Spirit, to save people, heal people, cast out demons, raise the dead, perform miracles, signs, and wonders, including tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge and supernatural dreams and revelations, you simply have a deficient experience of your full birthright as a follower of Jesus. And this passage says that God himself wants you to experience the fullness of your inheritance in Jesus. Paul turns to these brothers and he does not accept that, you know, when they say we've never heard of an experience called the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say, oh, well, that's okay. 
it's like, no, this is a, we need to deal with this. We need to address this. Which brings us to an important question I want to ask you. What about you as a person? Have you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And if you have had an experience of the, the outbreaking of the Spirit from within you, are you still flowing in the gifts and work of the Holy Spirit? This is not something that's for the emotional ones among us. This is a mainstream core part of the normal Christian experience as God has designed it. Um, as wonderful as going to church is, and as great as listening to teaching, you need to have this atomic reactor inside your own body and soul, and it is available to you, I promise it is available to you. It's like I heard a story in about excavation in Rome. They were going to build a building, and they were trying to get a foundation done. And, you know, everything there has been built on layers and layers of other versions of that city because it's so old. So they were digging down, digging down, just rock, 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 trying to get to solid rock. And then all of a sudden, they cleared some rock, and this spring burst forth. And it was a famous fountain from the ancient days, it was always there. People were walking on top of it. It was just cluttered up with all kinds of stuff. And I can promise you that if you could dig down and declutter, first of all, I think we, we all need to declutter our mind. And uh, you know, it's nice to be able to stay connected with hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, I've got whatever, 3,500 Facebook friends myself. But you know, this kind of thing can just keep you so micro busy, not at a very deep level, but just enough to distract your brain all day long. And you're always in these nanoseconds of concentration. Uh, I think a whole generation is being raised like that. And, you know, I don't know how we find the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how we can tell, because, I mean, there are moments that you are in a place, if you're spiritually tuned in, You are in a place, and then all of a sudden you realize something is either about to happen or this is some kind of special situation or opportunity or moment, and you know how to take advantage of it because you're paying attention. You know, your mind is settled and your heart is open, and that's why it's a really good practice to start every day with 10 minutes of nothing. I don't mean reading, I don't mean listening. I mean, just silence, 10 minutes of just saying, God, open me and declutter me. Get me down to my still, open self. You know, and when you get down deep enough and quiet yourself enough, that's where you're going to find this well of living water. It's already in you. If you're a believer, I promise, this is already in you. Uh, Oh, I I don't know that I could ever speak in tongues. It's already in you. You just haven't done it. I don't think I could ever pray for somebody and they be healed. I promise it's already inside of you. It's just to practice and use these gifts and have them come out. But generally in all of our lives, there is a moment where they come out for the very first time and the Holy Spirit baptizes us. Just like we get baptized in water, we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's a one-time experience. And then you live it out. And actually, you know, we're talking about the Ephesians, and Paul says to the Ephesians in his letter, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, why do I have to be filled more than once? Well, we leak, 
and life bangs you around and tires you out and wears you down, and, you know, we need that. So, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And if you have, are you walking in it? I'm going to believe with you. Um, if you haven't had this experience, I'm actually going to believe with you right now. If you, you know, you could stop whatever you're doing, open up your heart, raise your hands, and just say to the Lord, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. But you need to settle yourself and stay there. You know, and there's a, you need to exert yourself and bring some energy to your spiritual connection with God. And he will do that. He will do that for you right now. I need this. And I'm sure you need it too. You know, life is tough and it wears us down. And we need this river of living water. Jesus said it would be a river of living water flowing up from as within your belly and like the fountains inside of you. So you don't have to go seeking spiritual high places and say, oh, maybe if I you know, fly to this person's whatever meeting in whatever city, then I can touch God. And the good news is it's inside of you. You can touch God anywhere. And Paul wants these brothers to have this experience. He can't imagine living as a Christian and not having this experience. So um, it's really important. Verse 3 is a good uh, lesson for people doing spiritual care of other people. Paul doesn't just jump to conclusions. He asks questions. So when they say, uh, we've never heard about this, and Paul says, okay, why were you baptized? Into what were you baptized? And they know we were baptized into John's baptism. And it's really important that you take the time to ask questions before presupposing that you know what's going on inside somebody's heart and life. And we need to ponder this question, too. What were you baptized into? You may have never even thought about that. But you were baptized into something. And these 12 men were baptized into faith about the coming of the Messiah. They were baptized into repentance for what they've done that was wrong. And praise God for that. Repentance is the first step. And it is the preparation for God's full work in our lives. And if you've never taken a serious moral inventory of your life and looked back over your past and brought all those things to God, you know, they can, they can kind of haunt you as ghosts. And even worse, you can drag some of these practices into your life, even as a believer. And so, you know, we're trying to follow Jesus, but we still have so much of our old life in us because we didn't go through repentance. And that's the beginning of the Christian life. So Paul talks to them about this, and then he does something he's never done before, and as far as we can tell, no one ever does it after this in Scripture, and that is he baptizes someone in water for a second time. And that leads me to a third question. Have you been water baptized? Don't skip it. It's an important step of obedience, and it's baptism into something. It's baptism into something new. It's the birth. It's like a the bag of waters when we were in our mother's womb, and the bag burst, and out we, you know, we float out. And uh, that's what's happening in baptism. It's a new birth experience, and it opens you up to something new that God has for you. So John baptized people in water. He baptized them into repentance before the coming of Jesus with the promise that Jesus would baptize them into the Holy Spirit and into fire. And these men follow easily 
because groups that are pre-evangelized, they yield easy fruit because so much work has already been done in their hearts. And I guess that's why about 80% of all Christian missions work is done in a in a formerly evangelized country that seems to have wandered away from the Christian roots and have gotten into just ritualized Christianity where people don't necessarily know the Lord and their life shows no evidence of walking with God, and yet they do have some kind of background understanding uh, of who Jesus is and what the gospel is, and um, you know, the, the result the results are, are good in places like that. People are pre-evangelized, they've got a little bit of knowledge, and it's easier for them to move ahead. So Paul says to them, okay, we need to reboot. Let's start over with you. And he baptizes them in water the second time. Verse 6, Paul was not satisfied that any believer should not have a release of the supernatural, so he laid hands on them, and they all spoke in tongues. Hundreds of millions of people around the world speak in tongues as their prayer language. It's the language, I don't know, I think of it as the language of heaven. But it, one thing I know it is, is it's the release of a supernatural flow in your life. It's already inside of you. It's just something you need to have released or you need to release it. Because the Holy Spirit is present in every person who is born again. That's what makes us be transformed. And, uh, you know, you can say, well, why do I need to do this? And Paul, I mean, the Bible didn't give a whole lot of explanation. You can read Corinthians uh, from 12 to 14. Paul said it edifies us. Uh, it's, a, it's a way to allow my spirit to pray and go around my mind needing to understand everything. Um, it's an important part of, and it's a normal part of a believer's life. Uh, am I a believer if I don't have that experience? Well, if you've been born again, you're born again. And I'm just telling you, like a Swiss Army knife that you only open one blade, there's a lot of stuff in that Swiss Army knife, and you could use it all if you wanted to. And you can have and walk, if you're a believer and you're walking as a disciple of Jesus and you've been born again by His Spirit, you'll know it. Everybody around you is going to know it. And it's in you. All this power is in you, and I want to encourage you to continue to open up to the Lord and let him do his marvelous work in your life. Well, these men uh, move on, and they go in power, and they go in anointing, and this begins the most stable season of Paul's ministry. It's a time of deep fruitfulness. And first, he, he stays for 12 weeks among the Jews, and he goes into the synagogue, and he ministers to the Jews and the Gentiles 12 weeks in a row. They allow him to speak and he brings the word about Jesus. And then he moves out of that environment and he rents a ministry center. He takes a room in a notable school in that city and he sets it up as a ministry center and he stays there and he has tremendous fruit. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia and what they thought of as Asia is Asia Minor, so we're talking about Turkey, Bulgaria, Greece. Uh, all who dwelt in those countries heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Both the Jews heard it and the Gentiles. 
Teaching ministry is so powerful, especially when you mix it with miracles, because you really need both. You can't just blaze through, do miracles, and move on. Somebody has to take that experience and now ground it in truth and get people into the Word of God and get the Word of God into their heart so they can live on it and re, um, reorient the way they think, because we need the mind of Christ. We need to reason and think the way God thinks and learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves and take God's mission on us as our mission in life, and that requires a teacher to ground us in God's Word. And God bless you out there if you are called to teach God's Word. You know, may He anoint you with power to teach, but don't let it become an academic teaching because the Scripture says uh, knowledge puffs up. And you don't want to be that, you know, I'm the answer man. I'm the guy that knows it all. Uh, Know all that you can know, but lead people into an experience with God's Holy Spirit that will ground them in faith, connect them to Jesus, and anoint them power to work for the Lord in ministry. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. If you do me a favor, go to quinley.com slash iTunes and leave us a comment on the iTunes network that will help people find the podcast and uh, tell your friends about it. And if you've got any questions or you just want to talk to me about anything, I would love to hear from you. Chuck at Quinley.com. That's my personal email address. It goes around all the filters and you'll come straight to me with your correspondence. I would love to hear from you. Well, God bless you. Till next time, expect God to use you. See you next time on Thread.